now I'm focusing on just what's important and I'm able to take a step back even after I finish something and I can look at my other four things and I look at the other stuff. Are these still the four most important things? Because mm. stuff happens. Life happens. Someone's going to call you. You work in an office. Someone will come and bring something to you. Hey, I need you to work on this. Things urgent for them. That's not urgent for you. Mm-hmm. But now it's a task and something for you gets pushed down farther on your list because of someone else's emergency. Mm-hmm. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Coffee Break Podcast, where our mission is to share business ideas, practices, and strategies while we enjoy our cup of coffee. Today's guest is Brian Collins. He's also known as Essence with Royal Air Entertainment. He's going to talk through uh, the process of starting a small business, being the sole proprietor, and then starting to bring on additional team members, learn to delegate, learning to manage his time, manage his task. Uh, very eye-opening conversation. I think uh, the the industry that he's in is very different from a lot of the conversations that we've had in the past, but the fundamentals that he's talking about are very true no matter what industry that you're in or whatever position that you're in. Learning how to manage your time and task is a fundamental component of getting things done. Before we jump into the conversation, I do want to remind you and invite you to subscribe. We're well near 200 episodes right now of podcast because we release a brand new episode every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. And we want you to be a part of it. We want you to make sure you get a, 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 a listen to every single episode. You can do that in a couple of different ways. Make sure you subscribe to whatever platform that you're listening on right now. Or you can go to our website, lockdoc.net slash podcast, and you can uh, find all of the platforms there to subscribe on. If you'd like to see the video version of this as well, you can do that by following us on YouTube and Facebook. All you have to do is search L-O-C-D-O-C, click the subscribe button, and you will get that brand new episode every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Thank you very much for joining us now. Grab a cup of coffee and get ready for this conversation. We got so much to say, we got a podcast to make, we're sipping on lattes, and it's time for a coffee break. It's time for a coffee break. Oh yeah. Brian, also known as Essence, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's an honor. Now, tell us real quick, because we're going to get into rapid fire in just a second, but, but tell us where you're, where you're coming to us from today, because you're just kind of sitting on a screen on my desk at the current moment. <laughs> yeah. So as of right now, I am in Independence, Ohio, at the Ohio Media School. It was formerly the Ohio Center for Broadcasting. And as of recently in this past year, I've become one of the sports media, well, the only sports media instructor. Okay. So class just let out. I got an empty room and uh, it felt like a great place to be. Well, that, that may be a, a course of conversation too, is, uh, is, is the sports media side of things. Cause that's pretty exciting and, and probably very applicable right now, especially um, in, uh, in the digital realm. But before we get into all of that, we do have to do rapid fire. Five randomly selected questions just to get under your skin with unknown point values. Are you ready? <laughs> Ready as I'm going to be. Let's do it. All right. Question number one. Do you have a nightmare travel story? Ooh. Travel as how? Like where I travel in my nightmare? Um, or no, just like when you were, you were tra- or, traveling or somewhere. Like a and just terrible thing that happened while traveling. There you go. I've got some of those. Yeah. Um, man, fortunately, 
my nightmare travel stories have not been as awful as some of my friends have. Mm -hmm. Um, The worst that I can think of is like getting flat tires on the way to airports and missing flights. Mm. But life always kind of has a way of working itself out. So there was a time uh, my partner Brooks and I, we were uh, heading out to a business meeting and we also had the AC3 music conference and festival. It's one of the largest festivals. It's in Atlanta. It's a hip hop festival, like five days. Okay. And we were flying down there for the first time. And, you know, he's been a friend of mine for years, known his family for years. We got into business together, early twenties. And he's like, man, I'm so excited. I won't even sleep tonight. Famous last words for people who are going to fall asleep and stay asleep. <laughs> so I'm outside his house. I'm knocking on the door. I'm calling. I'm honking. I'm he fell asleep after he sat down after getting ready mm-hmm. and it was winter. Uh, well, it was close. It was cold in Ohio. It happens sometimes in uh, October and got a flat tire on the way to the airport. And of course, you know, missed our flight because of it. Um, and also because we were delayed because it took like 20 minutes to get him outside of the house to wake yeah. up. Yep. Um, and fortunately to my knowledge, that's the worst, uh, Thing that's happened traveling. I'm gonna, there you go. Yeah, I can't <laughs> go ahead and say that that's the worst thing. I would say I'm very I, fortunate. I don't think I've ever had a horrible nightmare travel story. Um, I think like you pretty much said, life has its kind of way of working things out and, and you just deal with it and, and it's not the end of the world. But I do recall uh, a couple of folks on our team were headed out of, uh, out of state one time and similar story happened where they were supposed to meet at, uh, you know, five o'clock in the morning or something like that to head to the airport. And the guy never showed up. And, uh, he was the, the, the Sam who was uh, worried to death about it, basically drove 45 minutes out of his way to go to the guy's house to wake him up. And so similar, similar process. I, I think that oh, they, man. they had a, at the end of the day, they were still at the airport an hour earlier than they needed to be, but it was just that stressor. Okay. Question number two, what's the uh, embarrassing story that your parents used to tell other people about you? I've got one. I love it. I always loved stories about me as a kid, but there is one time I I wish I knew why I did it. My mom said she walks into the room. I was toddler age, maybe three. And she's just looking at me funny. Like, man, he looks, he looks chubby. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a little kid, but like he looks chubby. So I think he's got a second pair of underwear on. So she pulled that off and there was another pair. And she pulled it off and there was another pair. For whatever reason, I went in and I took every pair of underwear out of my drawer and I put them all on, <laughs> on top of each other. I didn't see it on TV. No one told me. I don't know. I just got up and, and did it. And I was just standing in the middle of the room. <laughs> And she just walked in and didn't know how I gotten so chubby like since breakfast. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right. Question number three. What's the last thing that you broke and how did it happen? Ooh, last thing I broke was the door open to the gas tank on my car. Okay. And I guess uh, the pin that kind of holds the door open it's one of the ones where you have to push a button to release it. I don't just pop it open. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunately not one where I just push on and it opens up. And uh, it just wouldn't open one day. 
So I had to have someone help me and like hold this button while I hold this door up and pull it out. Uh, I wish I knew how I broke it. Yeah. Um, and I keep forgetting about it until I close it. And then I need help to get gas. There you go. All right. Question number four, what's the most interesting class that you've ever taken? Oh man. Most interesting class I've ever taken. There were, there are two that really stand out. Um, both of them in college. I went to Webster university in St. Louis. Um, my degree is in audio engineering and I minored in studio art. Okay. Initially I wanted to go and be an animator, a hand animator for Disney. Okay. And they closed that department like my sophomore year of high school. And I always wanted to go to find a studio and just kind of learn that side. So I went there for engineering. One of them, one of the classes was the evolution of audio. And that really stood out to me. Uh, there's a professor, Paul Stamler, and he just did a great job. It was just kind of history stuff about, you know, different companies who invented the phonograph and not just hmm. facts and figures like that, but also really interested in like company takeovers, who bought out who, who stole whose ideas. And uh, I learned a great life lesson from that class. And it was convenience always trumps quality. Yeah. So when you think about products and things like this is convenient, mm. I can just plug this in. It's not the best quality. Mm. Headphones would be better. Big speakers would be even better. Sure. But it fits in my pocket and I can take it with me. The second class was taught by the animation teacher, but it was our um, freshman orientation class. And it was called Creeping Dread, and it was about ghost stories and scary movies. Oh, wow. And we actually got to go to a, a real haunted house in St. Louis and had some interesting things happen there. So that's that's got to be on the list. Yeah. That's a very interesting statement, especially on the audio side. Convenience trumps quality. Mm -hmm. a lot, that's probably that, – there's a lot to unpack there. Okay, final yeah. question, question number five. How well do you trust your gut instinct? 100%. As of right now, it's batting a thousand. It's never been wrong. Uh, anytime, even recently, I'm like, man, I should do this. And I don't do it. Like the thing happens. Mm. I don't always act on it, but I know that I should because it's, I, I trust it hundred percent. It's never been wrong. So why would you not trust it if it's been hundred percent accurate? Or why would you not act on it if it's been hundred percent accurate? That's uh, one of life's great questions. I think it's when you... Uh, I don't, I don't know if it's arrogance, but like, nah, there's no way like me trying to be logical and not trust a feeling like, well, that doesn't make sense or no, I've got time to do that. And I've been wrong every time I did this every single time. Gotcha. Well, very cool. Congratulations. You made it through rapid fire. We'll give you a score of 516. There you go. I'll take it. All right. Well, uh, thank you for joining us today. So I want to talk a little bit about kind of, starting a business, learning to delegate, all those types of sure. things. I think that kind of natural entrepreneurial path, some people are good with it, some are not as good with it. There's there's some challenges that come aside with that. So before we jump into that type of a conversation, give us a little bit of a background as to what kind of business that you operate. Uh, Royal Air Entertainment, to, to me when I hear that, Sounds like it could be a lot of different things. So, uh, give me, give us a, a little bit of an understanding as to to what your what your business offers. Absolutely. So, 
you know how a lot of artists and even some businesses struggle to find their target market and then monetize and make money with it. Well, we solve that using our four main pillars, which is media, marketing, distribution, and as far as music goes, touring. Mm. Um, I've had a client recently named Cherry B in London. Uh, we've been promoting her song, and she's close to 160,000 on Spotify. Okay. Um, from playlists and things, but helping artists and, and businesses too, because I've worked with some insurance agencies and other things, designing their sites and, and helping get them press, but finding their their target market and how to reach them and then how to monetize that audience, whether it's through products, whether it's music sales or finding unknown revenue streams that sometimes we don't even realize that we have. All right. So how did you fall into that? So you went to school for audio engineering um, based off of what we were just talking about and kind of have that background. How, how did you bridge the gap between um, basically the promoting and the marketing side as well as the the kind of audio or the recording side of the world? Sure. It, it just was one of those natural progression things. I was always a fan of music, a lover of music since I was a kid. I started rapping the same age that I started playing the saxophone. That was age 11, fifth grade. And I was always recording songs and making music. And senior year of high school is when I actually started selling. And that's when the business side came up. One of my friends, I'll tell you real quick, he said, hey, man, I got a CD. I'm putting it out tomorrow for three bucks. I said, cool, man, save me one. And man, like, I've got like 40 songs. I just made music because I loved it. Mm -hmm. I just had fun doing it. I never thought of it as a business, even though I always volunteered with local record labels to sell music and things. It just never clicked for me yet. So this will this will date me a bit. I posted on my Zanga for any uh any millennials out there who remember when Zanga was one of the bigger blogging things. Live journal and Zanga were like the blogging platforms back then. Gotcha. And I said I'm gonna drop a CD tomorrow, two dollars. I made a one dollar cheaper my friends so everyone would buy mine. And I burned seven copies and I figured, you know, I'll sell two or three at lunch. Mm-hmm. I sold all of them. I went home. This was a Tuesday. I burned 20 more, almost seven a day. Should last me the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. Sold all 20 the next day. Came home, made 20 more, sold all 20 the next day. Every day I'd sell out. And I sold a couple hundred at, this, at just during lunch at yeah. school. And that's when everything changed for me. You know, fast forward, I went to college learning how to engineer, mix and master my own stuff. I taught myself Photoshop, always been a pretty good writer, so I could write bios. Senior year, I started the company making press kits for people. Come to the school studio, I'll record a a four-song demo CD, I'll write your bio, I'll design an album cover, and my roommate will take your photos. Mm -hmm. And people needed them, but they didn't know why they needed them. So now I'm making and selling these things that people have because they're told they're supposed to. Got it. But they don't know what to do with it. Mm Mm-hmm. And it just grew from there. You know, I was booking shows for myself. I was able to tour in some other countries, just doing things on my own. And my artist friends would just ask, how did you do that? Can you help me? And it just, you know, word spread. And that's kind of how I got into this side. Uh, The more that I learn and I volunteer at conferences so I could get in free, so I could learn and, and meet people. And it just, the more skills that I learned, the more that I could pass on. And that's just kind of how it happened. Okay. So, so navigating, which is very, I think 
in in any type of a in any type of an industry that's a very common path is uh, you've learned how to do the the really the business of promoting yourself recording yourself putting it all together and bringing kind of a full package together to the point that other people are saying oh help me do that so now you almost have two different things you're doing your own music path and being able to promote and create for that but you also are now creating or helping other people down the same path yeah very cool very and so that that is where royal air entertainment kind of came from yep yeah senior year I was in a silk screening class, and that's when I officially debuted the name. I decided to go to L.A. for this music conference, and I needed some promo material. And I burned a bunch of CDs to hand out, and I silk screened my name and the album title on all of the discs that I made brought out there. So I was just in there at, like, midnight when it was closed up and just, you know, silk screening my own stuff. And, that's kind of the, the debut. There you go. The public all, debut. All the, the old days of burning CDs. Yes. <laughs> we understand the frustrations HOA board members and property managers face when deciding the best solution for their HOA and pool security. Should we use a keypad, hand out keys, or install a key card system? Do we even need cameras? These are some of the questions that are difficult to navigate, and we're here to help. At LockDock Security, we've spent over 20 years working with homeowners associations and property managers to find a system that best fits the pool and HOA needs. Camera systems for the front gate or front entrance, key card systems for the pool gates, or simply updating the gate so that it meets safety and code compliance. We like to take the guesswork out of the process to answer any questions and help find the right solution. Our mission is to help you protect your people and your property and that includes pools. Contact our team today to schedule your free consultation for your community. Now that you've got kind of that figured out, so you you've you were able to figure out the the process of doing that. Now I'm I'm going to just guess based off of uh, kind of some of the other things that I've been reading is you've been able to multiply that and grow that to where it's more than what you can do on your own. Is that yeah. kind of where you are where you are currently? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's an issue that I think a lot of recording artists of all genres have. Mm -hmm. There's so many of us who have worn multiple hats on just the music production side. Maybe people make their own beats or, you know, singer songwriters play their own instruments and write the lyrics and they record and mix and master and write their own press releases and design their own graphics. You know, so I, I came even as a creative from part of wearing too many hats. Gotcha. So what was the result of that? Stagnation. I think a lot of times it's not necessarily I was a perfectionist because I've never been a perfectionist, but it was more reliability. I know that I'm going to get things done. And I think a lot of us, especially in business, we met people or hired people or worked with people on a project who don't show up. Uh, sometimes literally don't show up. Mm -hmm. They don't pull their weight. Uh, oh yeah, man, I'll get that to you on Friday. And then two weeks go by and haven't even gotten an email from them. Uh, and it just kind of came from, from that. I just it was easier for me to do it because I knew that I would do it. So I'm not a micromanager. I never have been, but I know that I'll do the things 
So that's how I just ended up taking on way too much and saying yes to too many people. So you've got a lot of drive and a lot of initiative. So you're going to get those things done, hold yourself accountable for doing those things. But the downside of that is a limited capacity of how much you can actually do. Yeah. And, and do at a level that I would be, you know, I've never been one to put out something that I'm not proud of. Mm-hmm. You know, any of the album covers or things that I've designed, they look good. Yeah. But imagine if I just devoted my life to being the best graphic designer. I know I'd be I feel that I'm above average for sure, Mm -hmm. but you know, how great can I be if I'm doing all of these things by myself? Yeah. Well, it's, it's uh, kind of that path of, you know, which we've had these conversations before with folks of being a a proprietor of your work and being able to do it well. And you can master all of those aspects. The limiting factor is how much can I actually process and put through? And then the really major deciding factor, and I think that there's, you know, it's the e-myth, it's the all of these other books that are out there. It's, okay, at what point do I, how can I uh, delegate off or bridge off some of the things that I'm doing and allow other people to take that so that I can work in my strengths and that we can we can multiply at a faster pace instead of me just trying to hold on to everything and knowing that I'm doing a good job. And so more and more people are asking me to do this. Um, so now I'm having to either turn people away or uh, start to do a poor job with the masses. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it was so, it was so great when, uh, you know, my, my, my friend Brooks that I mentioned earlier came with me and was helping me out. Just having another person there at some of these events and conferences and, when we do shows here, just having another person that you can rely on, even at that early stage of learning, you know, it wasn't even conscious delegating. It's not like, man, who can I hire to help me with this? It was just, oh, hey, man, can you do this? Oh, yeah, I can do that. Sure. It changed uh, a lot. It, it really grew. It's that old adage that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Right. Yes, and uh, it's exactly. very, very, very true. So you, you, uh, you, you've got a, uh, a, somebody that's helping you out, Brooks. He's uh, they're, they're getting, uh, making things happen. Right. Uh, so it's, it's always, obviously splitting some of the, the um, responsibilities off. At what point did you say, Hey, this is actually working really well. Cause you just said it wasn't uh, necessarily intentional at the beginning. It was just, Somebody's here. Here you go. Help me out with this. And we start uh, tar- starting to split the load a little bit. At what point did you say, hey, this is actually a path for growing this into something that's going to be bigger than just me? Yeah, there, you know, we go to A3C, excuse me, South by Southwest. And it was when we're at some of these events, things that I was used to just going to by myself and just having someone else there to help. And learning, like on the fly, kind of what other people's skill sets are, mm-hmm. because he's very personable. You know, he's well liked. Uh, he knows a lot of people in the Akron area where he grew up. So he was someone who could always think of someone he could call to help with things. Oh man, I know a guy that runs a business like this. I remember meeting this guy. He does that. Have you ever gone to this place? Where I. I like being the center of attention mm-hmm. um, or I'm comfortable with, you know, I'm tall. I'm six, six. I've been tall my whole life, six, six and a half, tall my <laughs> whole life. 
I played basketball, you know, I was in band at school. I had to stand up for solos and things. So I'm used to being looked at, stared at, mm-hmm. and I'm Honduran. Like, where are you going to find a 6'6 Honduran outside of, like, the national basketball team? Like, you're not going to – we're rare. You got gotcha. you. So I'm used to being stared at. Mm-hmm. So I'm comfortable being in front of people. But he's also great at just going up to random people and, and passing out flyers and things. Whereas at a conference, I'm more the guy I'll leave with maybe two or three really good connections. Mm-hmm. Like I'll connect with someone and we'll have a longer, you know, even a few minute conversation. And I build that connection. But I'm not the guy I'm, I'm not good at it. going around and just, hey, man, check this out and just walk around and leave. I'm not good at that. But he is. Yeah. So it was in seeing when we're at these events, seeing his abilities and really seeing him shine like oh man how much farther how much better can we do if we had people like this like digital street team stuff yeah but in person that's just not me Mm -hmm. and yeah i could learn the skill i could force myself to learn it but i'd rather someone else who's just naturally good at it just bringing them on board and working that out and that's that's when it clicked and like i said that was when I work with people seeing their skill set. So, man, I could teach him and try and tell him all day about percentage splits and changes in copyright law and, you know, publishing and all this stuff that he doesn't care about and mm-hmm. might be harder for him to understand just because he didn't have that growth in the business over years to learn how the business side of music works. Mm-hmm. So why not just charge what he's good at? Yeah, and I just, you know, one of my other guys says, uh, weaponized. The man weaponized. If he's good at that, just let him go. Let him do the stuff he's good at. And, and that was the moment that, like, man, I need to do this. Yeah. So you, you found that. And then what's the kind of the next spot that you were going, okay, here's another, here's another area that we need to really, you know, divide and conquer or this is an area that maybe we're weak at that we need to we need to bring some more folks in i read a book by uh, a man named dan Locke, and it's called fu money okay and it was a little more philosophical than like investment tips or anything like that and it was just talking about his experiences being an immigrant to i think canada and blowing a bunch of money and struggling learning the language borrowing money from his mom and losing it all, trying to start a business. And, you know, he's successful now. And he had something where he wanted readers to learn what an hour of their time is worth mm. to them. Okay. And he had some like figures in it of, okay, let's, you know, decide on an annual amount that you want to earn. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Whatever it is, whatever's right for you, hundred thousand, a million, 50, 000, whatever, whatever number. Sure. And kind of working backwards. So we have this number, but then he said, look at your day and how much time you're spending on things. Mm-hmm. So I just list out everything that I do, uh, graphic design, how much time per day and per week. What do I do in my business? Opening emails. That took a lot more time. Like when I actually thought about it and wrote a number, like, holy crap, like that's how much time I'm spending just on email, like opening e- and looking at these things, you know, and there is a formula to kind of calculate what an hour of your time is worth based on what you want. 
And then, you know, you take that hourly thing and I look at the, at the list of, of tasks that I'm doing. Am I really making money by opening emails mm-hmm. and being on my email? Yep. Um, the number that my time designing, what am I bringing in versus what is that worth? Uh, you know, all of these things. And I started looking at stuff like, oh man, that, that was huge. You know, I didn't realize how much time I was spending on things that weren't really important, at least not important in the way that I thought they were, you know, and, and it helped me manage my time a little better. It's been a process, sure. a years long thing <laughs> to learn how to not waste my time and to how to be productive. I feel like I'm starting to get it. I've got some plans and processes now that are working and I'm feeling pretty good and productive most, most every day. Mm -hmm. But that was a key moment in realizing what I was blowing time on. And maybe it's something that's important for the business, Mm -hmm. but am I being taken away from growing? Yeah. That's what I love to. I want to meet people. I want to make deals. I want to make partnerships. I want to see what we can do together. I don't want to sit there and go through a hundred emails every day from multiple accounts. It sucks. Can you copy this key? That's a question we get asked about 3,422 times a year. And how can you actually be sure that the person who asked that question is supposed to get a copy of that key? Well, we think you should always know who can copy your keys to your business and your home because it could be your neighbor, an old employee, a contractor, or even worse, your mother-in-law. At LockDock Security, we believe in protected key systems, so you always know who has a copy of your key. To find out more, visit LockDock.net or stop by our Charlotte location. LockDock Security, helping you protect your people and your property. The way that I've heard it said before, and I think what, what you're proving to be true is, what are the things that only you can do? Um, so, you know, can you open up email and go through that? Absolutely. <laughs> you, you can definitely do that. But you you said earlier that you're, uh, you, you are teaching a course or teaching a class for, uh, for sports media. Yeah. In, in the aspect of your business, you're the only one that can do that. That's not something that you can delegate off. So, right. The, the four-hour class that you're teaching, I don't know how long the class is, but yeah. we'll just call it four hours. Four hours class that you're teaching is that's that is the priority for you to spend your time there and get somebody else to deal with the email because that is the four, the four hours that you were spending on email is now placed into something that only you can do versus something that anybody can do. And I think that's... You know, it. I, I guess from my personal experience, because um, I'm not perfect with it either. Uh, but from my personal experience, it's um, it's the challenge of it's something that I can do as well. But really, designating the things that only I can do is really the the hard part of kind of carving that out. Being very aware of these are the things that I can do. These are the things that anybody can do. And if I have time, then I can help. But best use is in the things that only I could do. And that's really where you start unlocking these massive potentials for your organization. Yeah, absolutely. So as you've been navigating that for that particular business, what are some of the other 
um, challenges that you've that you've met with that as you've been building your team and identifying those different areas? Because I'm trying to think of this in terms of folks that are listening or watching this podcast, sure. and they're like, "Hey, I'm kind of at that point where I just really can't get kind of to the next level. I'm kind of stuck at what all of the things that I'm touching, and I feel like I'm stretched uh, super thin." Uh, you know, you said that it was you've, you're still working on it and you're still navigating that. But what, what were some of the key uh, points that you said along that process that really made uh, really solidified that for you? One um, when I when I I started doing what was the was it the Eisenhower matrix mm. where you know I I look at the tasks that I need to complete and you know put them in one of the four categories of either urgent, unurgent, or important and unimportant. And, you know, there are four combinations of that. And I realized that only the things that were urgent and important were getting done. Mm-hmm. And the things that weren't important and weren't urgent, which are like delegatable things or things that maybe I'll do in the future. Yep. You know, they're, they're, wants and wish list type stuff like hey man maybe i should do this one day maybe i should write a book about this it's not urgent it's not important it's just be cool to do it sure it's just, it's not going to get done yeah and i realized that after a while and i read a book called monotasking uh, i wish i remembered the author's name he's a uh, scandinavian you'll, you'll know the name if you see it but i got it from the library and that changed so much of how I manage my time. You know, I list all my tasks and I have five a day that I try to get done. And I don't add a new tasks to that five until I finished all five. And when I look at a clock and kind of schedule it based on that, that really helps me be productive too. Um, even when I was doing the Eisenhower thing, I would mark down the time that I thought it would take to finish stuff. Because there were times like, damn, I got like 20 things to do. Mm -hmm. There's no way. And I made myself, well, how long is this actually going to take? Send this email to someone. It's going to take 60 seconds. I'll put a minute. Mm -hmm. This could take five minutes. And I broke it down. I'm like, damn, I can get all of this stuff done in an hour and a half. Yeah. Wow. So it was just, you know, steps along the way of just, wow, this Eisenhower thing helps me see what I can delegate. And then adding the time that I decided to test out shows me how I'm managing my time, what I'm wasting it on, and how quickly I can actually get things done. But when I changed after that monotasking book, it was like, oh, man, now I'm focusing on just what's important. And I'm able to take a step back even after I finish something. And I can look at my other four things and I look at the other stuff. Are these still the four most important things? Mm. Because stuff happens. Life happens. Someone's going to call you. You work in an office, someone will come and bring something to you. Hey, I need you to work on this. Things urgent for them that's not urgent for you. Mm-hmm. But now it's a task and something for you gets pushed down farther on your list because of someone else's emergence. Mm-hmm. But allowing myself this time to kind of be in the moments, okay, these things are done. What's actually important right now? Mm-hmm. And that could even be get up and go for a walk, worry about my health. Yeah. Go drink some water, stretch for five minutes and come back, rest my eyes, whatever it is. And, you know, learning that helped me delegate too. Because again, there, there are things that are on the list that I look at still 
this this isn't important enough to stop these other things, mm. but it needs to get done. Yep. So who can I give this to? Yeah, I, I like that, and I, I think that's a key takeaway from our, for our conversation today. The the monotasking, and um, that'd be a great book to follow up on because it's something that a lot of people struggle with and you, you hit it right on the head, you know, especially in office environments, there can be distractions and everybody else's emergency is now your priority uh, and navigating that and in, this, in the small business realm, especially when you're, you know, a, a, a team of a, a few folks, then it really becomes detrimental because you're just kind of constantly turning into that ping pong um, and uh, or pinball, I guess it's either way, uh, just trying to navigate whatever that priority is at the current time. It, you know, having a method for your workflow is is what I'm hearing you say is find yeah. a method for your workflow that can be consistent, that you can assess the tasks that need to be done. How do you prioritize them? How do you decide what's next and navigate it that way? And then that even becomes more clear where I'm spending my time and the areas that I need to hire folks to support the, the things that need to be done, but I don't have the time to actually do them. Yeah. I just, uh, it's Stefan Nodeberg. I know I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, <laughs> but uh, S-T-E-F-F-A-N. Okay. And the book's called Monotasking. And that's one of the ones like honestly changed so much of my life, being able to rearrange and better manage my time. And the last thing that I'll add to, to your other question real quick was um, I've learned how to, I'm, I'm trying to learn and I know I'm, I'm trying to implement uh, more is habit stacking. Mm-hmm. So if there's a change that I want to make, can I fit that into something I'm already doing? Yep. Like, man, I'm trying to relearn a language or learn a language. Duolingo and some of these apps have just few minute lessons. Is that something I can do during part of a morning routine? If I'm microwaving something or I'm cooking something or you're making coffee and you're waiting for it to brew, and you're normally just sitting around. Mm-hmm. Is what can you do during that time? And it's it builds the habit of, oh man, I'm already just kind of chilling. Like I've got three minutes to read this, or sixty seconds to open this. Yeah. That's helped a lot too. Is that have you been reading Atomic Habits? No, but it's on my watch, uh, my my read list. There you go. All right, that it's there's there's a lot of good information in there on that book as well. Oh wait, no, um, is that Charles Duhigg? Uh, James Clear. James Clear. Okay, no, that's okay. on my to do list. There's one by Duhigg that I just reread recently, but uh, that is something that I got. I, I use Hoopla a lot. Okay. Um, to to borrow books from you know the library. Got it. And, uh, you know, I would go to the library a lot or I'd forget about it. I ended up buying all these books and you know, I love supporting the authors and I am one, but, you know, I do appreciate and love the fact that libraries exist. Yeah. So uh, they have that free app called Hoopla, at least here that you know, we can rent movies, music. Uh, I've rented my own book. There you go. <laughs> and, um, that was just one that was suggested and I have it in my to read list, but I have it yet. Very cool. I mean, it's been an insightful conversation for sure. Uh, you, you've given some really good tips on uh, kind of personal management, um, uh, time management, really understanding how to create a good workflow that works for you um, in whatever whatever business that you're in. And I think that the big, big thing that I would want to underline is a lot of those um, 
takeaways are applicable to anybody in any position in any role, uh, which is which is really really big. So, uh, man, if somebody wants to find out more about you, uh, check out book, try to find out any information about you as a whole. What do they need to do? I'm pretty easy to find on the internet. Uh, most of my social media is just under Essence E S S I N C E. Um, Instagram and Facebook are it's Essence I T S. E-S-S-I-N-C-E. Um, also through Royal Air Entertainment, my company, R-O-Y-A-L-H-E-I-R-E-N-T. Um, that's the social media. That's the website. Um, pretty pretty easy to find. And I always like talking with people and sharing uh, any resources and things I have. I'll, I'll give you one last, last thing I learned. Um, I have virtual assistants now. I have two. I have some in person and I hired two virtual assistants. Um, both, of them, both of them are from Latin America. Um, and there's a company, iWorker, that I work with that trains and helps. Uh, a lot of them are women, but in third world countries, learning digital skills. And some of them got a great graphic designer and video designer. I'm good at both of those things, but I just don't have time. And yeah. that was one of the things that I like to do but I had to teach myself to learn how to let that go. Um, you know, it's, it's especially different if there's a task that you enjoy doing, but you don't have time for it. Yeah. So that, and then even help with scheduling some of my social media. I've got ideas. I can make the content, but even just little things like that, that I can pass on to someone else. Um, having, having virtual assistants has really helped. I have people in person and I've got virtual ones. That's that's been life changing, career changing too. Awesome. Well, hey man, like I said, I appreciate the time. It's been very eye opening, and uh, definitely the the best of luck as you continue to con- uh, to work on growth. Absolutely, man. Thank you very much. I yeah. appreciate your time. Well, Brian Essence, thank you very much for joining us today. It was a really fun conversation and uh, very eye opening. I think getting back to some of those fundamentals of uh, managing your tasks, managing your time, being intentional about what you're trying to accomplish. For those of you who are watching or listening for the first time, we invite you to subscribe. We've got a brand new episode every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Don't miss a single one. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next time right here on the Coffee Break Podcast.